How is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I have got a very special guest for you. Today, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of, of the Tailored Coaching Method, with one of the best taglines I've heard, helping average people achieve above average results. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Cody McBroom. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Thank you for uh, having me on and for the amazing intro. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks a lot for, for taking the time to jump on. Um, how are you? What's been what's been happening in your world recently? Yeah, man, I'm great. Um, just busyness, man. Busyness of, of running a business, being a dad and still uh, trying to prioritize my own training, nutrition, physique, all that kind of stuff, you know. So but uh, all in all, things are things are amazing. Things are moving and, and I got no complaints. Oh, good. Plenty of things to uh, plenty of things to keep you out of trouble then. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, I gave quite a, a brief um, introduction there. So obviously, with the content that you put out there, but also from um, hearing you on uh, other other podcasts, um, just want to give a little bit. Uh, or if people don't know your background, just want to give a little bit of a background to yourself. Yeah, absolutely, man. So um, as you said, my name is Cody McBroom. I'm the founder of Tailored Coaching Method. Uh, I have been a strength training and uh, I guess diet physique, whatever you want to call it, enthusiast, a fitness enthusiast for over a decade now. It's, it's really the only thing I've ever done. Uh, so I'll be 30 here in a couple months. I'm 29 years old. And uh, I got, I graduated high school at 17 years old. And this was kind of the first thing I got into. And, and funny enough, I was uh, the chubbier kid in my group and actually never stepped foot in the weight room until after high school. It was not, not my thing whatsoever. Uh, I did play soccer a little bit and I skateboarded a lot. Um, but I just really wasn't passionate about exercise or nutrition or anything like that. I really just could care less to be honest with you, but I graduated high school and I had, uh, two knee injuries. Uh, one led to a surgery. So I was a little bit heavier than I've ever been, had a bum knee and I was kind of, I was going to community college for something I just didn't really care about, which is funny. Cause now I do care about it, the business, <laughs> but, um, at the time it was just my only option. My dad kind of said, Hey, go to college and uh, you'll study business because that's what I did and I'll pay for it, but you just got to go, you got to do something. And so I said, okay, you know, and uh, long story short, I hated it. I was never liked school. I was never a good student. And uh, I, one day I asked the teacher, you know, how many businesses have you ran as he was teaching us business 101? And the answer was zero. He graduated business school and started teaching business. And it just didn't vibe with me. So I got up and left and I ended up popping into a class uh, about training because I had met the instructor uh, weeks before when he gave me a suggestion when he saw me in the gym because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I fell in love, man. I started skipping my class. And then after a couple months of skipping class to go to his, I decided that I would try to change my degree. Uh, my parents said no, because it was a random hobby that kind of came <laughs> out of nowhere to them understandably. Uh, so I did what a 18 year old kid would do and forged my dad's signature so that I could still do it. <laughs> and uh, I changed my degrees uh, at this community college to this fitness program and uh, ended up going through it's, it's actually pretty cool. It's the most uh, intricate and, and one of the top in the entire country for community college. So it's not a university, it's not kinesiology, but it's one of the only college degrees that is actually for fitness trainers and nutritionists, right. not exercise science, kinesiology, although we had specific classes that dove into those topics, it was more about being an actual coach, which was really, really cool. But he introduced me to so many people and his name was Tim Vegan, And he was friends with Dan John, Michael Boyle, Alan Cosgrove, Gary Cook, like just so many people that were so influential in the early days 
And it allowed me to step into a uh, into the industry at such a young age around the most influential people possible in the strength strength training, right? Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. I ended up int getting introduced to a guy named Luca Hosovar, and then I interned under him. He hired me. I worked for him for six and a half years, always with the intention of eventually building an online company, because uh, that's just what I was passionate about: was writing blogs and creating content, even way before Instagram or anything like that. And uh, and that's what I ended up doing. Uh, six and a half years later, I found out I was going to have a daughter and I gave up 100% of my clientele at the gym so that I could start my online business while my wife was on maternity leave, which was a risky move. But um, I put my back against the wall. I did it. And I built up the business in the time that she was pregnant, really, until, you know, over the next few years, it grew and grew. And now we're four years into it. That was in 2017. Uh, so we'll be four and a half years here now. Um, it'll be five years in October. And uh, it's a fairly large business now. We have nine other nutritionists. We have a PhD on staff, we, uh, Dr. Brandon Roberts, who does research in the field. We have a dietitian. We have a full-time media guy, our admin, our social media person. Like it's a, it's a family. It's really, really cool. We're spread out around the, the world now. We help people around the world. It's so it's an amazing thing. Oh, cool. I think there's nothing like, because it's one of those things of, um, there's a, uh, there's another coach that I know that's based in Leeds and um, he, uh, I can't remember whether it was just after, just after the pandemic uh, in the, in the UK um, or around about that time and opening, um, opening his own gym, which was a risk at the time. But it's one of those things of, um, it's only a, a negative if it doesn't pay off, whereas ultimately if it does pay off, then oh you know you're doing something that you that you enjoy and obviously the position that you that you're in now you know it's grown um into something you know to be to be really proud of you know uh, with with the amount of coaches and the and the people that you're working with when you mentioned there because I always like to ask about you know um especially when maybe younger coaches or people are seeing someone like yourself um how you started off how you got into training all those people that you mentioned there are people that, you know, I can imagine nearly everybody who is a coach has heard of. How did that develop into your, you know, coaching style? And what did you take from all those people that you were learning from? Because especially the content and the information that you put out there, it is, you know, uh, your own take on it, but it's there. Um, it's proven results. You know that, you know that it works. So how, how did you try and, uh, pick all of the different aspects of working, you know, with uh, the, the, the other coaches that you mentioned? Yeah, that's such a good question, man. I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I came up in the industry when I did because uh, evidence-based coaching and evidence-based information around training and nutrition wasn't as prevalent and it wasn't as easy to access. And there wasn't as much funding for research on some of the topics that we study now. Um, and it's obviously a, a lot more important to be quote unquote evidence-based, but I think it's important to understand that being evidence-based doesn't just mean looking at research. It means also having anecdotal experience to match alongside uh, that research, right? So, and, and the reason I say that is because when I was getting started, you really only learn from experience yeah. by yourself or from those types of people. And, and funny enough, like I agree with you, but at the same time, there's so many times where I have new, uh, younger trainers following me or listening to me and they're like, who's Greg Cook? Who's, who's Charlie <laughs> Weingroff? Who's, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you not know these people? Um, but it's just, you know, it's a different era. So, uh, and, and a lot of those people are my age. I started very young, obviously I got into this at 18, but the, the thing that has been cool for me is being able to have a base foundation of experience and really just learning from the trenches from all those people 
some of them did use research, obviously. Like we talk about Gray Cook and Charlie Weingroff. Those are two extremely scientific guys when it comes to biomechanics and movement and stuff like that. Um, but then I think of some other influences in my career. Uh, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Dr. John Russin and Christian Thibodeau at a very early time before they were blown up on Instagram or anything like that. And being around them um, at seminars and workshops and, and being able to train with them and, and talk with them and eventually podcast with them. That had a big influence on me. Um, Joe DeFranco, uh, although I've never met him or been able to create content with him, he was a huge influence to me in the early time. So being able to experience people like that, that do have a scientific backing as far as like they understand the scientific principles of strength training. However, they're leading through their experiences and their coaching, and that's what guides their decisions and their methods. That's where I was taking everything from. And now that we live in such an evidence-based time, I think once that started coming about, I was able to look at what I've already done and learned from these guys and then try to find the research that supports some of the methods and have a better understanding as to why it works, right? And sometimes like, you know, the easiest analogy for this is calories in versus calories out, right? There's certain things that like always worked and I didn't know why they work necessarily. It just worked because it's the method. And then later on you realize like, oh, all research just kind of points back to the same place of it's because of calories in versus calories out. So there was times even when I would be doing something that I learned from these guys and I'm like, this is nothing special. It's literally just creating progressive overload. That's all. Like it's a way more simple thing, but it's a cool method to get people excited about achieving progressive overload. But um, to answer your question more directly, I think I really started kind of piece by piece following, like I would, for example, I would follow, uh, I, I, I met Christian Thibodeau. I, I then I read his, a couple of his books. I started following his programs. I like dove into Thibs, like all of his stuff. And then I went to, um, into, I got really into like Westside, right? And I started consuming a ton of Westside conjugate. I met AJ Roberts. He was friends with the guy that owned my gym. And that kind of sent me down a, a rabbit hole of Louis Simmons content and everything. And then I started doing a conjugate program and following a lot of that stuff and understanding that. And then, you know, John Russin, and I went down his path. Like, so I think what I ended up doing is kind of taking all these people and kind of forming my own art to programming, because the problem a lot of younger coaches have is they read research, but they don't understand that if you don't have an art behind how you program it, the, the research isn't going to be that valuable or the, the things that you're taking away from the research isn't going to be consistently applicable. Even things of like, if you're just focusing on percentages for intensity and volume per week, like there's no research to show exercise sequencing throughout a, a workout session really does much whatsoever, but I've never met a great coach who doesn't have a very specific sequence to how he programs, he or she programs the exercises throughout a session, right? Because we all know what you do as your first exercise influences the second and the third and the fourth, and this whole session is going to influence tomorrow's session, right? So it's, it's a very hard topic to study because how do you study it? There's so many different ways you could do it. Um, and John Meadows was a really good example of that he had a lot of exercise sequencing that he used that he would even say like, there's no research to back this up, but you should do hamstring curls before you squat because it feels fucking good. And man, it feels great. And I use that because <laughs> it feels good. So I think what I ended up doing is kind of taking a lot of these pieces, trying to justify what I could justify with science. And then just being honest about what I couldn't justify with research, because there's either a no actual research on the topic, or maybe the studies really can't be done well or with advanced individuals to prove what I'm trying to prove, but I have enough experience with individuals to continue justifying it in my program. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think there was a couple of things that you mentioned there. The, the last part that you said about, you know, being um, honest about the things that, you know, we you maybe, you know, can't give an answer to or have the evidence to it. But, you know, uh, what, what I quite like about, you know, um, the, the concept put out there is that your opinion on it from your experience of being in the being in the trenches coaching. And then the other part is, you know, you've mentioned um uh, the uh, the West Side uh, West Side uh, Barbell, you've mentioned, you know, Christian Tibador and um you mentioned studying it, reading, reading their books. Whereas now, you know, you mentioned also uh, before the blew up on Instagram. And it's kind of that thing of social media right now, there's snippets of information, but I think sometimes people forget that actually they've got books out there. They've got seminars, they've got all this information, which is a little bit more in depth as opposed to a snippet of, of, of information. And when it comes to like what you mentioned there about programming, developing as a developing as a coach, where do you think sometimes that social media can, ha can uh, uh, have a negative impact on coaches trying to, you know, find out that information, study these other other coaches, these these other methods to then be like, right, okay, what's going to be the best service that I can give to my my clients from from learning these from learning these things? Yeah, it's social media is such a double-edged sword because in so many ways it's been a beautiful thing because it's allowed it's allowed me to reach tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of more people, you know, and it's uh it's a very positive thing for that reason, because you can help people. However, uh, I think, and I have actually talked a lot about this recently. I think that the, the attention span of the consumer has been uh, dwindling away, so to speak. And it has caused every piece of content to get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, right? Like we went from IGTV videos, which were unlimited time to reels, which are 60 seconds or less, right? And so it's like, <laughs> And now everybody knows engagement on social media sucks unless you do reels or you're on your story, both of which have to be extremely quick. It's, it's very frustrating. Um, TikTok is a great example of that. I think there's very rarely any good information on TikTok. Granted, I'm not on TikTok and I won't get on TikTok because I just don't feel like spending my time there. But there's still some platforms like podcasts and blogging and YouTube that some people use for uh, good purposes. And, and that's kind of where I've put a lot of my attention and focus. So, you know, I think that, and I get that question all the time too, of like, who do you follow for, to learn from on Instagram? I'm like, well, I don't follow anybody to learn from them, to be honest with you. Like I follow people because I think what they're doing is cool. Uh, like I follow a lot of accounts about like tattoos and, and motorcycles and shit like that, that I like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, rarely I'll follow somebody that will post about something. And then it gives me insight of like, oh, they just released a new study or they like mass research yeah. review came out with a new uh, uh, subscription this month or whatever it may be. So I think that, I think social media is great, but I think people need to use it as a way to discover people and then leave the, the platform in order to go somewhere else to learn. Because the places I've learned the most from have always been seminars not so much now um where i'm at in my career i go i attend less seminars and i think with COVID, everything turned into webinars webinars just aren't the same because you need to be with people in person um and unfortunately most seminars now are like business coaching seminars which i'm not a fan of too much i think it's it, it sucks that there's not as much training and nutrition seminars um but i mean you, you can see behind me there's a stack of books and like that's yeah. my bookshelves at home like and those are just like fitness textbooks like literal textbooks, you know? So um, I think ultimately, I think that's that's the route people need to go. I think that's where you're going to get the most information because you can only put so much info in a snippet. And, it, and you know, a good example of that is, is like in 60 seconds, I can tell you that 
Um, volume is probably the most important aspect or key indicator for muscle growth. And you should aim to be around 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week while managing recovery. And then I'm cut off. But the amount of caveats that go into that with your experience level, how many days a week are you training? What is your actual goal? Because if, if your goal is not hypertrophy, that's different. Or if your goal is muscle maintenance during the fat loss phase, that's different too. If you have injuries, that's different. Like there's just so many caveats, right? So to be able to put anything in a reel is just like insane. So it gets kind of frustrating, but um, I don't know if I'm even answering the actual question at this point, but I think ultimately <laughs> I... I like to use social media or look at social media as like a gateway that sends people or it's like a door, you know, like you see, you see the door, you, if you open that door, you end up leaving the platform, you know, yeah. the social media platform is the door you open it up, then you end up somewhere like my blog or my podcast or somewhere even more in depth, like mass research review, weightology, Alan Aragon's research review, things like that, that go a little bit deeper. Um, and then that goes into another rabbit hole where I often tell a lot of coaches as well as like, I interpret a lot of research, but I actually interpret research from the interpreter of the research. And I tell people that because I will read a study and I will not post about it until I hear somebody I know and respect interpret it first, who, uh, who has a PhD or understands research on a deeper level. Because even though I've been a coach for 11 years now, and I've been studying and reading studies for a long time, there is, there is a fine art to actually being able to fully interpret research. Yeah. Um, luckily I have a Brandon on our team uh, who has a PhD and he does research. So I will literally read a study and be like, Hey, is this, is this what <laughs> like went down? And he'll be like, kind of, but here's what I took from it. And I'm like, perfect. And then I can like extrapolate what I get out of that and how I can apply it to clients. If it even is applicable to my clients. Yeah. I'm glad we were on the uh, same wavelength there because I was just about to say, um, is it just a, a, a gateway or a, a, you know, a door to then go to the blog or YouTube or, or, or whatever, it, whatever it may be, because there's, there was kind of a couple of things from, from what you were saying there, but I think that's a really good example because, you know, a lot of coaches would look at people's followings and think, oh, how have they got so many followers? They just must share something and people will just flock to them. Whereas actually, I think as a coach, you know, a couple of times that you've mentioned there from you speaking with other coaches, you know, you would implement those things or read that thing for the respect that you have for, for have for that coach. I think that's the same, or would you agree that that's the same, the clients wanting to work with the coach as well? Because then that way, you know, as a coach, you want to get buy-in from and trust from the clients that, that, that you're working with. So if you can show them a little bit of information and then get access to a blog or a YouTube or something like that so that they then have that more information and realize that apart from that snippet of information, there's more to it from that. They understand, you know, the coach understands what, what, what they're talking about. Would you kind of, kind of agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, one thing I learned when I really started diving into like email marketing and stuff like that, because, it, and that's a battle for a lot of fitness business owners were so wrapped up into training and nutrition that a lot of times their businesses fail because they don't want to dive into marketing and email emails and advertising and stuff like that, you know? Uh, but the reality is you're not going to have a successful business if you don't. And if you don't have a successful business or learn marketing, you can't reach people in order to help influence them in a positive way. Right. Uh, but the point I was getting to is that in email marketing studies show that people don't usually buy your product or buy into things until they read your emails for at least three, but upwards of six plus months consistently. And that's assuming you're writing emails multiple times per week for them to open, right? And a lot of people, young trainers listening, they're like emails, like what? Yes, emails. It's actually still one of the leading drivers of sales in any industry, period. So if you're not writing email newsletters, you're probably not gaining that trust of people as well as you could. But 
when I, when I figured that out too, I, I really kind of started realizing like, you know what, like converting uh, followers into clients. I, and I know this isn't a business discussion, but at the end of the day, if we're trying to take what we've learned and what we want to do as passion, and we want to create content that helps people, but also creates buy-in so that we can actually serve them as a coach and help them get results. We do need to understand this. Right. And the way I looked at it was like, well, and this made it, it became way more prevalent when I met a couple people um, who were pretty well known in the industry uh, from like an Instagram perspective. And they were asking me for help with their business. And I was like shocked because I'm in my mind, I'm like, you got so many followers, like there's no way. And it, and it really started cl clicking with me. It's like, well, likes don't equal trust, right? Like, because, you know, as, as a female influencer, you can post a, a great squat pick in booty shorts and you're gonna get a bunch of followers, right? Does that mean they trust you? Not exactly. And for guys, we can post a picture of us flexing our abs, eating an In-N-Out burger, and we're going to get a bunch of likes followers. Is that going to lead to trust? No, it's not. And the same thing with right now, there's all these like quick motivational reels of people doing workouts with like some quote behind it. That doesn't convert people. It doesn't teach anybody anything. Now, if you use those things to gain uh, eyes and then you teach the, uh, those people. So it's like you have a 50-50 blend of like, I'm going to post, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hack the system and get people to come in and then I'm going to teach them something. That's great. Do your thing. But my point with that is, is you have to be able to create long form content or maximize as much as of the caption or the reel or whatever you can on Instagram and these short forms in order to be able to actually teach people because until they understand that you are the expert, they will not create trust and they won't have that buy-in, right? Because people buy in when they understand that you've experienced what they're experiencing. You, you can educate them on how to get through it and you're, you're trustworthy, right? You're supportive. You can hold them accountable. You have knowledge to back up credentials to back up what you're doing, experience, so on and so forth. Um, and that's why I think it's very important to create educational content on these social media platforms, but also in long form, because I've never, you know, our best clients that are the most committed are the ones that come from the podcast or the blog. And I don't think it's a coincidence. They might've discovered me on Instagram, but then they go from there to download my ebook. That's an 87 page nutrition ebook. And then they get on my newsletter and I write newsletters four times a week, teaching people stuff. And they listen to the podcast that drops three times a week. And we have two YouTube videos, a blog once a week, there's all this content and it's long form. But if somebody reads a 5,000 word blog on a topic or listens to me speak on one nutrition aspect or one training aspect for an hour straight on a podcast, they trust me because I'm clearly an expert. And that's the problem with younger trainers is if you, in my mind, if you can't create long form content, you probably don't have enough education or experience and knowledge to actually be able to do so. It doesn't mean necessarily you shouldn't be a coach. It just means that you should probably get back to the books and start learning enough to be able to create that long form content. Because I think that's a prerequisite. Yeah, I think you listed quite a lot of things there in terms of blogs, in terms of podcasts, a, a whole host of things. And it's kind of, um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, especially with emails, you know, uh, free content there, you know, yes, then you might purchase the, the ebook, but you know, there's other things that you can put along there, like a blog, look on the website, there's going to be loads of blogs on there. And it isn't a case of giving all your secrets. And I sometimes, again, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but there can some, I think sometimes younger trainers think that, oh, well, I don't want to tell people too much because then they're not going to come back and stay with me. Whereas actually it's that thing of, all the information is out there. You've mentioned there a number of coaches of who you've studied, who you've learned from. All the information is, is out there. It's just a case of when you're working with, with clients and trying to build it as a, as a business and develop your reputation, 
it's your take on it. It's t- taking your style of coaching from learning from the Mike Boyles, the uh, Eric Cressy's, the um, Christian Thibodeau's, you know, it's learning from there and then putting your own spin on it or you know trying to find out you know your um the target audience that, that, you, that you're working with a little bit like what you mentioned with the number of coaches that you're working with around the world you know there isn't going to be somebody um uh, you know uh who's they'll probably want to work with somebody a, a little bit closer in terms of what they're what they're delivering um so yeah i think that's a that's an important especially for you know younger coaches to realize that it's not all about the um uh uh, the short, snappy um, captions. There's got to be sort of some foundations behind it in terms of knowledge, you know, and, and experience, which you know I think sometimes is is neglected, especially when you know since COVID, it seems as though everybody was like, "Well, I'm an on, I'm an online coach. I I can do this." Whereas you know you still need to have that experience, like what like what you mentioned about you know the amount of time that you were working in a gym and then transition to to, to the online coaching side of things. Um, I kind of wanted to flip it, flip it on its head a little bit now and look from um, the the client's point of view when they're looking at uh, looking at content and you know you we we touched on uh, progressive overload and you know the content that get, gets put out there and it's kind of ultimately people are looking for a coach to get results they're looking for content that's going to be either that silver bullet or that thing that's going to allow them to get there whereas there seems to be a thought that it's always more is always better i just need to do more whereas sometimes it's a kind of they neglect the things that they can do outside of the gym so the with the clients that you work with and you know your sort of principles and philosophies on training how do you put that across to the clients to realize that more isn't necessarily always better or doing more in the gym isn't always necessarily better. Real quick, uh, and we can cut stuff. We need to. My dog is just chomping on this bone. I'm just going to take oh. it. He's <laughs> banging it against the window. And I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why we don't podcast with a bulldog in the room. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was well behaved. Usually, um, I know when, uh, when 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 we've had the dog, it's it's been barking in the background. So at least it won't barking. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't bark, dude. Like even if like he needs to go potty, he needs to go outside, he won't. And it's actually kind of annoying because he just will sit by the door. And if you don't know he's by the door, he's gonna piss on the floor. And you're like, <laughs> man, like say something. But he was just chewing on his bone and it was hitting the window. Yeah. Um. So as far as like trying to break that down to clients, I think that you know there's always a level of, uh, it's usually like a balance between, and I think coaching in general is this, education and emotional intelligence, right? Emotional intelligence is understanding the psychology and the nature of the individual. How am I gonna translate this information? How am I going to relate to them, create empathy with them, so on and so forth. Make sure this message sticks. Cause if I just educate them with science and it just goes right over their head, what's the point, right? But once I create that, uh, that connection, and that trust, then it's educating them on what, why, how, right? A lot of people come into it and they want to go faster, harder, quicker. Like, you know, they want to lose weight quicker. They want to build muscle faster. They want to PR more often, things like that. The reality is, is that things take time and they take patience. And I do think step one in making sure that your clients understand this is actually creating content on the front end so that when they come into it, they already kind of know that that's the process. Now I might have to reestablish that with them and remind them consistently, right? Um, we see this with reverse dieting all the time. We have clients that'll have to do that. And we have to remind them every single week that like, Hey, like this is normal. You're not losing weight. Like we're not supposed to, but 
we have to do that reminder. And that's part of your job as a coach. But um, I think that it's creating that content on the front end is helpful because it educates them. And you really can't, like you said, you cannot give away too much information because every single method or topic or strategy or anything we can create content on is highly individual regardless. So once we like unpack the overarching theme, when we have a specific individual, it's going to, the weeds, you know, we're going to get into the weeds because it changes for every, everything is a, it depends answer. So you really can't give too much away. Um, but a lot of times I will really, really stress the importance of uh, stress and adaptation, right? And how recovery is the process in the middle that allows us to adapt from that stress. And if we don't adapt from that stress, we don't actually create any type of result. So explaining to people, what is the process of building muscle, right? And, and I think, I had this question the other day from somebody that uh, they wanted to know, like they're, they're not building muscle and they want to like, how many more calories should they eat? And it had nothing to do with food. It was like, you're not training enough, right? Like, like if somebody's training three days a week and they come to me and they're like, okay, like how many more calories do I need to be at for a surplus to build muscle? And I'm like, I don't care how much more food you eat. Food isn't going to build muscle, right? Food is going to help recovery. So you can adapt from the training stress that you applied. So if you're not creating enough of a training uh, stress by not doing enough volume in the gym or having a high level of effort, right? RPE or RIR is properly gauged, then you're not going to build muscle. You're not going to stress the system. You don't have anything to adapt to. So trying to explain the science for them in a really simplified way. And that is why our tagline, like you mentioned at the beginning is, is helping average individuals achieve above average results through advanced strategies. And we try to do that in a simplified way because we believe that everyday people should also understand the science at their level, right? Of their level of knowledge. Now they come into it, you know, if I hire a mechanic, um, I'm like, he can try to teach me, but number one, I don't really care. So I'm, I'm not going to really take that in. Right. And I also, I'm not going into it from a point of, I need to learn how to do this on my own. Now, if I was like, I need you to teach me how to fix this spark plug. I don't know shit about cars, but let's just say spark plug. <laughs> and I don't ever want to hire you again. I expect him to walk me through every single aspect of fixing that part, right? That's how I look at it with clientele is like, how do I teach them so that they understand and they can continue doing this on their own eventually? Because the point of hiring a coach is to get a result and then learn how to do it on your own. So you never have to hire a coach again. Now, doesn't mean you never hire a coach again, because there's times where you want to push a little bit further. Maybe your goals change, maybe you like the accountability or like for me, I do it for my clients. I just don't like doing it for myself. So I hire a coach to do it for me. Um, there's no emotional bias with that. And I think that's valuable. But the point is, is, if I needed to, I have the education and I have the autonomy to do it on my own. Um, and so teaching clients the process of this, how long is it going to take, right? So explain to them the idea of 0.5 to 1% of total body weight loss per week, for example, that's a healthy, sustainable rate of loss that doesn't allow muscle atrophy, explaining how progressive overload um, kind of tapers off as you go. And same with soreness, right? I know soreness isn't directly correlated with muscle growth or um, strength necessarily, but it is a proxy to let you know that you're creating a stimulus that might lead to growth or strength gains. But if we look at, you know, experience level and soreness, we know that as you get more experience, you get less sore. Well, you also see less gains, right? You build less muscle over time. You see less PRs over time. So explaining to them all these different 
curves and kind of like, I do have graphs from content created and showing them that if I need to, like, Hey, you're going to get really sore at first, but that's also because you're getting newbie gains. It's so, it's such a new stimulus, but as you get more experience, the soreness tapers off. So does progress. So don't expect this forever. So does weight loss. Don't expect that forever. It's going to be slow. Um, there's periods of times where we need maintenance phases, deloads, like explaining like a very like ground level periodization process for them. Um, and, and really that's what it comes down to. It's, it's the science of periodization, deloads, uh, rest and recovery. So you can actually adapt to what you're doing, um, cutting and, and bulking and maintaining and like how your diet should fluctuate over time. How long can you diet without having too much adaptation to where you're seeing negative progress to your health or physiology now, right? There's so many little things that I think that we can throw into this question, but it ultimately comes down to being able to simplify the science behind it so that the person understands it. Because if, for example, I always use this analogy with clients and I say like, there's a lot of coaches who you will hire and they say, here's your program, here's your calories, go for it, thumbs up, you know? Whereas to me, that's like saying, hey, like you wanna move? Okay, there's, there's a path right here, go down that path. And they're like, well, it's dark, where does it go? And you're like, don't worry about it. Like you can trust me. And they're like, how long am I gonna be walking down it? Like, ah, don't worry about it. I'll let you know when you're there. Like, okay, well, uh, is it like safe? And they're like, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. Like, you know, there's no, you're just walking in the dark. Whereas I'm going to tell people in a dietary situation, here's your calories, here's your macros. Here's why they're starting here. Here's what I expect to see. Here's when I plan on changing it. Of course, things change over time. So it's not exact, but this is kind of the evolution and periodization of what I expect to see and how we're going to progress your diet over time. Same thing with training. Here's the, the progression method we're going to use. Here's why we're using it. Here's the exercise selection. Here's why we're using it. Here's how long your mesocycle is. Here's why it's that long. Like explain all those things. So they're not just walking into the dark and expecting results to happen, right? Or have a million questions later on because you didn't explain jack shit to them. Yeah, definitely. I thought that was, a, I am a big fan of an analogy and I, 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 really, I really like that. Um, a couple of things that has been a, a common theme through us chatting is that, you know, honesty, building trust with a client, but also explaining, you know, why you're doing it. And I think from what you've said there as well, I kind of had to smile to myself because when you said, you know, um, don't expect a client to be with a coach forever. I just had images of coaches listening, going, what? Oh my God. What, what, what do you mean? Whereas actually I always, again, throwing another analogy out there. It's a little bit like school. You never go back to high school. It's like, right, you've done high school, you've done now, right, this is where you go. If you want more education, you can go and do other things. And I think that's similar to, with, you know, a coach, like what you were saying, you can build that foundation of, right, this is why we do it. This is the training. This is the foundation of training that we know. We know how to um, hinge, push, pull, all those sorts of things. Do we know how to, you know, plan our own food? Do we know how to manage our, our, our calories, have that base, and then from there, like what you mentioned, you know, your goals may change and, 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 and swap around. Whereas some things that you were saying there, especially with clients, you know, thinking about um, uh, the example that you used of, I'm training three times a week, I need to eat more, right? Well, actually, we maybe need to do more in the gym. Have you found that sometimes that uh, people can uh, hone in on one certain thing and kind of put the other thing on the back burner? So, for example, get really dialed in with nutrition and try and find the minutiae minutia of everything. Whereas, like what you mentioned, they maybe just need to do more in the gym. Or on the other side, they're doing loads in the gym, but then they, they, they aren't eating enough. Do you find from your experience that people are either one or the other and they kind of need direction into, right, this is what we actually need to start building towards results? 
Absolutely. I think that, um, I think there's, there's two ways that I would like to answer this question. I think there's the one side of, at a certain point, people might create autonomy on both ends, you know, and usually we're talking about training and nutrition and we could throw in like life stress, which is going to implement to recovery. But I would say most people struggle there regardless. And they, they, it's not like rocket science. It's like, dude, get more sleep, meditate. If you need to like, you know, just chill, watch some Netflix when you, instead of going back to work at night. Uh, but I think there's, there's a point where you might have autonomy. However, if your experience level increases and, or your uh, goals advance and progress, you might need somebody to step back in regardless. Right. So for example, I have full autonomy over all of the above because I've done this for a while, but like, I'm, I'm actually two weeks away. So I'm like getting very lean and lethargic at this point away from a photo shoot. I still hire somebody because that's an extreme goal. I'm not just like trying to be average Joe lean. I'm trying to be absolutely peeled and shredded. So there's a point where you will make emotional decisions and bias decisions, and you won't be able to judge your progress properly because the, the mental side of it kind of kicks in at more influential degrees when you get to an experience level, right? So you have powerlifting pictures on, on your wall behind you. I'm sure there's a certain point where you hire a powerlifting coach to take you through prep because you might be at a certain point where you're just like, I'm going all in. Fuck it. Your mind is telling you like, no, the paper says this. I got to do it. And your coach is like, dude, deload. Your form sucks. You're, you're tired. Your biofeedback was bad. Trust me. We're going to, we're going to shift periodization a little bit. This is the right move. And it's the best move for you, but you can't make that decision because you're emotionally bought in to your own ego. Right. And like that happens. So I think there is a point where even though you're super experienced, you got to do it. Um, and there's also times where you get so experienced that you, you can grow out of that too. I'm, I'm sure, you know, like uh, a good example of that is, is a good friend of mine. I've been really good friends with him for years. Uh, Chris Bearcat, he just uh, became pro and he did his prep by himself. Now he had peers that he reached out to and was like, yo, what do you think? This is kind of what I'm going to do. And he was pretty intuitive about it. He auto-regulated his training. He was really intuitive about his diet, which is not a typical way to go about becoming a pro bodybuilder but he has so much experience and education that he was able to do that at this point, right? From years of hiring coaches and doing different things. Now, to your point, I think there's a lot of people who are not at that experience of a level who definitely have their weak point and that'll be kind of like their crutch, right? Like that's what like, so for example, for me, that's nutrition, right? I know nutrition like the back of my hand. Uh, we primarily coach nutrition. Uh, I Training's my first love. I absolutely love programming, but from a business model, that's we kind of lean more into the nutrition side. Um, and then I have an app for training, which we're actually relaunching and rebranding and everything. Um, so that's where we put a lot of our training efforts into. But I don't typically hire people to do my training because I'm very, very good at getting after it. I'm also pretty good at recording my biofeedback and my progression and knowing when to pull back and deload and periodize my plan. Um, I'm great at that. But I'm the first to say, fuck it, have an extra glass of wine on a Wednesday with my wife. You know, so for me, it's not that I don't know what I should do. It's that I'll go, I'll cave because I'm like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. And I'll just kind of chill back. So when I have a serious goal, I'm like, all right, right. like Jackson Piazza is my coach right now. It's like, hey, dude, I got to jump back into it. Let's, I'm going to do a photo shoot. I need your help. Not because, and it's a collaborative effort because a lot of times when I know adjustments coming, I know an adjustment's coming and I probably know what the adjustment's going to be, but I let, I leave it in his control to make sure it's done at the right time and in the right way. You know what I mean? So I think that there's typically people do have that one side they lean on. Maybe it's dieting and training. Um, and I don't think I can generalize this to genders, but I do see in my experience that with men, it is more like I'm saying, like we have no problem training the right way and training hard and lifting heavy and doing what we got to do. And at a certain experience level, knowing when too much is too much. I think newer 
lifting males tend to let ego fuel their lifts and actually ends up burning out or hurting themselves more often than women. But then with women, it's, it's less of a struggle to diet because they're constantly chasing that a lot of, especially with like the marketing and the media and everything like that. And it's actually more difficult to push them in the training realm. So I think it's, I think both can be opposite in both sexes, but I do see that more prevalent. And I do think regardless, people kind of lean on one side and it ends up misguiding their, their goals, unless they hire a coach and the coach might be doing both training and nutrition, but I definitely have certain clients where I emphasize more of one than the other, because I know that's what they need more help with. Yeah. I think that was a, a really interesting, a really interesting point there, because again, it goes back to the, the social media side of things, whereas there's kind of an expectation of, um, you need to be doing this or you need to be, or, or you need, or you need to be doing that, you know, especially when it comes to, to, to men and women. And one of the main things that you said there was, um, which kind of jumped out to me is working with your coach of it's a, it's, it's a collaboration, you know, it's that, not that, not that thought process of, you can still have that, have that discussion, but it's that kind of thing of, you know, pulling back on the reins a little bit and being like, right, okay, this, this, this is what we want to do because, you know, sometimes it is, um, it's not just a case of a coach is going to say, do as I say, this is it. This is just the plan. Like what you said about the analogy of, right, just walk down, walk down that path. It's got to be that, um, uh, that team effort, which again goes back to that, that, that buy-in and, you know, what's going to be, you know, beneficial for, for you as a, for you as a client going forward, whatever level of, of, of experience you're at, because it's like, right. Okay. Um, take that out of my hands this is what i'm going to go from go from there and you know it's, it goes back to as well the majority of people i know there can be you know specialist areas where you know um uh, powerlifters at a certain level bodybuilders or athletes whereas the majority of of people are the general population the working nine to five the busy so it's kind of got that thing of to get them to, you know, like what I said at the start, above average results. It's got to be that education side of things and be like, right, how do we, um, how do we develop a, a, around that? When you mentioned there, obviously about the the the, the nutrition side of things, why do you? Because with training, you mentioned there, people can go into the gym. They they know how they know how to squat. They know they have a they have a fair idea. Why do you think there's so much? Uh, maybe confusion the right word around about no no well you can't do that diet this diet's going to be the better one whereas when it comes to training a squat's a squat a deadlift's a, a deadlift's a deadlift do you think that's part of the education side of things that maybe clients sometimes struggle with because there is so much information out there um i do and i think that it's real quick i just want to touch on the the piece you mentioned before because i think it's so important too like um a good example of this is like Earlier in, in my cut, we had some high intensity cardio, uh, a couple sessions a week. And they were even, they were an interval that I haven't used before. And I asked Jackson, I was like, why? Right. And he sent me a link to the study. He explained his thoughts and said like, that's good coaching, right? That's, that's making me understand. I was like, oh, I've never seen that study. And then I actually started digging into more content around it and it was great. And then we later on took away that cardio and replaced it with lists because as the diet progressed, fatigue was lower. I can't handle to do high intensity or it's gonna fuck up my actual strength training, which is more important. But in a client situation for the everyday person, if I implement high intensity cardio and I say, hey, this is gonna burn a lot of calories in a really short period of time. So it's a great way for us to utilize cardio right now. And then later I shift it to low intensity without telling them why for either of them. They just know that high intensity is better than low intensity because high intensity gets the job done quicker and burns more calories. 
right? And so there's, and there's so many situations in fat loss where I would much rather use low intensity cardio or just step count because it's so much less fatiguing and saves energy for strength training. But if you don't explain that, it's, it, it's an issue, right? So I think it's very, very important to, for coaches to not wait for their client to ask why, because some won't, because they don't want to speak up and they don't want to feel like they're questioning your authority when they should, they should ask why for everything. Cause if you don't know why you shouldn't be coaching, but I always like to come at it with, here's what we're doing. This is why we're doing. And if they want me to dig deeper and elaborate more, by all means, ask me why to the three things that I listed underneath the reason why, right? And then we'll go deeper. So um, very, very important. Um, now, as far as why people get confused on education, I think it's it's multifaceted. I mean, one, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You can only say so much in a Instagram post or a reel. So a lot of people are using that to their advantage by just putting like very dogmatic black and white statements that get attention. And unless you're doing like a bait and switch, which is like, hey, like this says something, but then actually it's like this then you're, you're, I think you're doing a disservice to the individual and even bait and switch. I mean, if you're really a, a, an evidence-based educator, it's really hard to do bait and switch, you know, like the closest I've gotten recently was like, I did a reel talking about high intensity versus low intensity. And like, there was captions. So I put the thumbnail on the caption that said, uh, when it comes to fat loss and high intensity versus low intensity, I almost always go with, and it was like, dot, 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 yeah. right. Because I want them to hear. And I did say lists, but I explained why 75% of the time it makes more sense because it's less fatiguing and it's, it's just easy as hell to do. And then it saves energy for high intensity. So, and that's like not really clickbait, but like the point is, is sometimes you do got to use marketing, but I think there's people that take it too far. Um, there's also nothing very sexy from a marketing perspective about saying everything boils down to calories, that you should lose weight slower, that it's difficult at times, that you can be flexible with your diet, but don't be too flexible because then it's going to be harder to track. Um, if you eat out at restaurants too much, it's inaccurate. Like all the things they don't want to hear, right? It's much more sexy to talk about how you can be as flexible as you want, how you can have drinks every night, how you can eat Ben and Jerry's and lose weight, like how health doesn't matter as long as you hit your calories, all of which are kind of have some truth to it, but they also have a lot of bullshit within it that will stall you out long-term. Um, and I think that's where like training, it's a little bit harder to do that. Now, if you ever open up the Pinterest app, you might see that it's not quite that way because the amount of like stupid glute booty band circuit videos that go on <laughs> in there, or like, I saw this one that was a before and after of this dude, he was clearly like pushing out his stomach and then flexing in the next one. And it was like with weights. And then it was like calisthenics and he was like shredded. And I'm like, this is like, bro, come on. Like calisthenics are not the way to a, a bodybuilding physique, but uh, those that's, what's catchy. That's what's sexy. And I think that's what misguides people is because they see quick snippets of like sexy ideas or they see people doing something and they don't understand the whole picture of it. Right. So even like, um, somebody said this to me on a podcast and it was really good. And they said, if you're going to compare, compare the whole story. And so what I mean by that is if you see some dude on Instagram, who's absolutely peeled and he's maybe he's sustained that like, uh, and this is not a shot at him at all. I've had him on the podcast. I've talked to him many times. I think we're going to podcast again. He's a really good dude. Uh, Marcus Philly clearly shredded. Right. Um, but if people look at him and they're like, he sustains this year round. Okay. Maybe you're the same age, height and weight as him. And you're like, well, comparing yourself. Well, you can't compare yourself because he trains twice a day. He literally, his whole world in life has revolved around training and being an athlete for the last two decades. You cannot compare yourself to him because if you're an everyday individual, you have a life, right? Even for myself, like that's probably the most difficult part. Like 
I do still have a family, right? I still do. And my wife could care less about my abs. She literally could care less, <laughs> right? So I do it for myself. And I have a daughter who needs my attention, right? I try to avoid going to the gym on the weekend so I can spend more time with them because I also run a very busy business and my wife stays at home to be with her, which means I have that load on my shoulder. So um, I, I have to work really, really hard, but I also tell people like, if you're also the same age as me and height as me and you run a business and you have a family, you still can't compare because my business holds me accountable to not fuck this up. Because if I'm not doing my part, people aren't going to trust me. Number two, I can see my gym from where we're talking right now. It's <laughs> 10 feet away. So I can like walk out my door and I'm in the gym. I have no excuse to not train Monday through Friday. I just don't. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think that's where like there, I mean, there's a lot to it and, and I could probably go on and on with the rant, but I think ultimately it just, it boils down to misinformation being quickly displayed on social media and people not comparing the whole story. They just see snippets and highlights of people's lives and they try to compare themselves to that little aspect. And it's not, it, it's a matter of essentially matching your standard or your goal with your commitment level, right? And it doesn't mean like you're a bad person if you can't commit to this as much as Marcus Philly can or I can because our lifestyle situations are different, but it means understanding like what, where is your commitment level able to be at? Like, what's the highest you can commit to without making your life miserable? Okay. What is the highest standard of goal that you can set knowing what your commitment level is? That's where we have to be at peace with, right? And it doesn't mean you have to be a powerlifting champion or a bodybuilder or anything like that. It just means like, what's the best you can do with the, the circumstances you're in. And that's going to set you up for success. Yeah. I thought that was a, uh, uh a really a really good way of putting it all there because we've covered from the coaching side and the client's point of view and it kind of comes back you know full circle to what we first started talking about which is you know you're going to see a snippet whereas how do you go from that snippet to then find out a little bit more and maybe from you know a coach's point of view having that more information in the background so you can get by and so you can develop trust and show that you know you have that knowledge and and and, and experience but then also from a client's point of view to be like, like what you mentioned, question things, dig a little bit deeper, ask the coaches, coaches why, because, you know, like, like what you mentioned there about, you know, people who have uh, potentially a really big following, they might not have the, the foundations be, be behind that. They might just have that, that following, that, that, that clickbait. Whereas, you know, as a, as a coach, you, it's got to have that knowledge and, and trust and buy-in because ultimately we're working with, people you know we're not just sending out generic things and saying yeah just just do that that'll, that'll be fine because you know people have got different circumstances they've got families they're you know uh, elite athletes they've got other things going on and trying to match it to that person um thanks a lot cody for taking the time to jump on really really enjoyed chatting with those um lots of really good things in in that chat the last question that I like to ask is from everything that we've spoken about there either from a coach's point of view or a client's point of view or both what would be your take-home points or words of wisdom? And um, based on the conversation, I would say that it's 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 the same piece of advice. It just it depends on which lens you're looking at it from, right? The client or the coaches, and that would be that it long. I think long-form content has to be a staple in developing trust as a coach, which means if you're a client looking for a coach, you should be seeking out their long form content. And if you're a coach, you should be learning to create better long form content. And you, if you don't have the confidence to be able to do so, that's a problem. And this doesn't mean like, like, cause I know I, I have coaches on my staff, for example, who are brilliant, but they're not the best writers. 
So they're like, well, I can't create long. Well, it's like, that's fine. Like, let's get on a podcast. And they do amazing on a podcast because they can speak it. So it's like, cool. That's all that matters, right? I also know people who are more in the, the educating uh, college scene, research, stuff like that, that don't do great with content. But you, if you hear them speak publicly or like seminar, like they crush it, right? To me, that still counts, right? That builds trustworthiness. Um, but it's also the same point of like, if you're, again, let's go back to the mechanic analogy. I've always said like, if I went to Google and I typed in mechanic near me, and I saw a number and I called the, the person and I'm like, Hey, can I bring about a shop? And they're like, oh, I don't have a shop, but I can meet you on the corner of 35th and 18th. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, ah, oh, just on the side of the road. You know, I don't have a shop. Do you have a website? No, I don't have a website, but you can trust me. You can see my Instagram. <laughs> like I would, I wouldn't I'd like be like, now nah, I'm good. I'm going to find a, a fucking shop where a person has a physical <laughs> location, probably has like a, an actual business website, stuff like that. So if you find a coach on Instagram who has like cool reels that motivate you, but then you go to their profile and you try to click the link and there's really nothing, but besides like maybe like a Calendly link, like for calls, go Google that person, see what pops up. You know, that's what, and, and I did a presentation on this uh, just recently in Texas and I was kind of showing like Inst or TikTok influencers with millions of followers and like showing like, who do you, who are you going to trust more like this, this, and this is nothing about age. So it's nothing against that. Cause I started in this industry young, but like this 19 year old who has 13 million followers and does like these cool, quick circuit workouts, who has no website, no Google reviews, nothing to show for their education or me who doesn't have a TikTok, but I have a website with real people leaving real Google reviews, real testimonials on the site of thousands of people that have worked with us. And I have a physical location. Like you can come, I'm in my office right now. We have a 5,000 square foot facility where my people work. Like that is a legitimate business. And, and as an online coach, you don't necessarily need to have a gym or anything like that. Cause I didn't at first, but I definitely had a website. I had long form content. I had something to show for it. So I guess my point is, is that for coaches, you should be establishing like a, a foundation beneath you because it, you can't build a house that's going to last very long on a shitty foundation. It's going to crumble. And if you don't have that foundation, which is your experience, your education, your long form content, which long form content is just your way of displaying the experience and education that you've gathered over the years. I think your, your business and your coaching model is going to crumble. And as a client, you should be seeking somebody out who has that foundation or else your results are going to be built like a house of cards. They're not going to last. I think that's a, uh, some really good take on, take on points from there. And I know, especially um, as I've uh, developed as a coach, you know, seeing that all the um, sort of tick boxes that you've mentioned there, having a website, trying to practice, because that's part of the reason why I started this, this podcast, because, you know, I'm not the best writer in the world. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better. But, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, uh, speaking, you know, speaking to other coaches such as yourself or the, 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 the videos that I'm sending out to clients can still get that message across and, and you know, uh, get that trust. Um, thanks again, Cody. Really, really enjoyed that. Like I say, I thought that was, you know, some really good uh, words of wisdom there. For anyone listening who might have any uh, questions about the topics that we've covered today and um, see the content that you put out there or get involved in some coaching with you, where can people find you or reach out to you? Yeah, uh, thank you again for having me on, man. This was a really, really fun chat. Um, everything is at, uh, if you Google search tailored coaching method or my name, Cody McBroom, everything will pop up. I'm on Instagram daily. It's at Cody McBroom. Our podcast is the tailored life podcast. The blog is tailoredcoachingmethod.com. We have hundreds and hundreds of articles and research reviews there. Um, we just started doing YouTube. Uh, again, we're doing two videos a week. I'm really excited about that. It's just been a fun new way to create 
more content. Um, and that's just Cody McBroom there as well. Um, coaching's on the website, the apps on the website, everything's there. So everything can be linked on tailoredcoachingmethod.com. We just have tons of free stuff out there for people to learn. And we encourage people to go that route before coaching with us anyway. It's like, learn as much as you can. And that's where they gain that trust. And if we're the right fit, then, then apply and we'll, we'll work together. Awesome. Thanks again. A hundred percent, everyone listening. If you haven't seen the content that Cody's putting out there, hundred percent, go check out, you know, the, the YouTube, the website, the, the blogs. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, and I will see you all next week.